You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. How many like uh, vitriolic blog best? You, you, you just go for the fire blogs, just roast people. That's your favorite kind of thing in the world. Anybody? We want to kick you out of the church if you do. Yeah. How do you like human interest stories? How many enjoy biography? Just stories of people, how it developed. How many of you don't read at all? <laughs> I, I really enjoy biography. I have for a long time, stories of people, how they developed, what went into their lives, the shaping factors is something I'm just keenly interested in. And I got to be involved in one yesterday. Uh, Mark and Marister Penner are longtime supported missionaries here at our church. We're one of the key supporting churches for them. Uh, he is, uh, well, they were both missionary kids in Japan, so they grew up in Japan, and they've been lifelong career missionaries in Japan. And Mark is one of these guys that's really easy to just look right past. I might call him mousy, but he's in that general direction. Uh, he, just, he, he just does not stand out in any crowds, except that he's incredibly, incredibly faithful and brilliant. So he was working in Japan, he and Mary Esther, and got involved in Bible translation, but the crew they picked on were Japanese deaf people. So because they don't have the Bible in sign language, he said, I've got to have it to where people can hear the Bible in their heart language. So he began working to translate the Bible into Japanese sign language. Nobody ever done anything like this before. And he is now world's leading expert in sign language translations. And he has just moved, he and Marister just moved back to San Jose where he's working with the United Bible Societies and he's a consultant around the world to help translations team take the Bible into sign language. It's just absolutely amazing. And so yesterday, Western Seminary, where I teach in San Jose, I gave him a Doctor of Divinity. It's an honorary doctorate, except you really earn it by that kind of a life. And I look at Mark and Marister. Marister does Wheelchairs of Hope, and she refurbishes wheelchairs, she and her team, and they've taken over 2,500 wheelchairs to people who, that's the only way they can get around. And part of what makes that so powerful is their oldest son, Daniel, has a ruined body. He cannot communicate at all. Uh, he can't do anything. He's in a wheelchair all the time, 24-7 care. So, Matt, you're top of the notch by comparison. Uh, and, you know, you're a triumph of grace here among us. But Daniel is, I mean, that has galvanized him because they see firsthand what it means to be long-term faithful, in their case, to a son who can't do anything. And I got to be with them yesterday in that celebration of a faithful family of God, their two sons, Anna and Andrew, are just, I mean, they're PhDs, they're teaching at UC Irvine, and, and uh, it just this crazy kind of stuff, crazy kind of stuff. Here's a guy who just, okay, I can do that. In God's power, he went to a spot where he's doing just unbelievably good stuff. So hearing the citation yesterday at the graduation ceremony and then being with his family yesterday afternoon for the party, just amazing what God can do with people if you just opened his transformation and empowerment. 
and Mark and Mary Esther are two heroes of that. And uh, just, yeah, just amazing stuff. So we're going to dive into biography today. Genesis chapter 38 is the center of our story. It's the biography of a guy named Judah. Now, if you know the story around, you know that David is of the tribe of Judah. And the uh, kind of, well, the word we get Jews today is from the title Judah. And Genesis is telling us the story of Judah. We saw the first of it last week with Jay. And I just want to delve in here a bit about the tribe of Judah, and particularly the the founder of the tribe, Judah, one of the sons of Jacob, one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And if you're here last time, you know that uh, things were not working well in Jacob's family. What was the crazy stuff that was going on? What happened to Joseph? The brothers loved him, right? Well, not exactly. So here's Joseph, the favored child, the 11th of 12 children. Joseph came to his brothers. They stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe that he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Why did they do that? Because they're going to kill him. They're going to kill the little brat. They've had enough of his favoredness. They don't like him. They're going to kill him. So they toss him in the cistern and have some lunch. Do you like that story? Don't do it! Shut up, kid! You know, crunch, crunch, and, you know. They sat on a new meal. They looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites on their way to Egypt. And these are slave traders. Judah, here's our guy, said to his brothers, what do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Let's sell him to Ishmaelites, not lay his hands on him, don't kill him, sell him. Why? After all, he is our brother. We want to be kind to our brother, don't we? He's our own flesh and blood. What do you call some guy like that? Don't kill him, sell him. He'll die in Egypt. You call him a mercenary. I mean, come on, come on. Judah, good guy or bad guy? This is looking tough. This is looking tough. Yeah, so kind. Well, it doesn't stop there. So Joseph went away to Egypt. They grabbed the robe, this fancy robe that Jacob had given him, slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, Daddy, like, examine this robe and see, it kind of looks like your son's robe. Jacob recognized it. It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, mourned for his sons many days. Can you imagine the heartbreak? I mean, this is a favored son. He's been torn up by a lion or something. And what happens? Who comes to comfort him? Judah. Oh, Daddy, it's got to be so hard to lose your son. I wonder what happened to him. Daddy, oh, you're so... And what have they done? Sold him and deceived him. What do you call this? You know, callous fraud. He didn't know up to a bit of it. He is tormenting and just killing his dad with the grief. It doesn't say a word. It doesn't say a word. Okay? Chapter 38. Little conflict in the family, as you can imagine. What does Judah do? What does Judah do? He gets out of town. What do you call that? I call it a coward. 
like out of here. I don't need all this stuff. I'm going to get out of this place. He went down to stay with a man of Abdullam named Hira. Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. Now, Shua is the father's name, not the daughter's name. In fact, we never get the name of the wife. We never get the name of the wife. Now, what do you think about marrying a Canaanite, biblically? What did Abraham do in favor of Isaac? No, don't marry a Canaanite. They're really bad people. Go back to our home country, Haran, and find somebody there. And he goes and gets a wife for his, oh, his servant does. And then Isaac, in relation to Jacob, what do you say? You must not marry a Canaanite. Why? They're really bad people. Go back to Haran, to our family place, to get a wife. What does Judah do? He marries a Canaanite. What's that even a name? He marries her. He despises marriage. Does not have the sanctity of marriage. We don't have tribal stuff today, so it's not quite like that. But if you're from an upper-class family and you go marry somebody who's out of a, you know, the family's run strip joints for a profession, it'd be something like that, maybe. Judahite for Ur, his firstborn. Her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. Now, you've got to understand, Tamar means what? Date palm. What does that suggest? Ooh, baby, she turns eyes. Ur is so wicked that God kills him. Now, question, how wicked do you have to be for God to kill you? Pretty dang wicked. How wicked can you be when you're first born? <laughs> it doesn't tell us what happened. It does not tell us what happened. It just kind of lays it out. It doesn't spell anything out because it's really a story of Judah. Now, Onan, who's he? Second son. Here's what Judah says Onan. Take your duty, son. Your brother-in-law and produce an offspring for your brother. Now, that's a custom. If a man dies, his wife would be given children by a brother so that the family line of the dead brother will continue. Later it's going to be called Leverite marriage. We'll see that in Ruth, for example. What's Judah's response to Onan? Well, what I see here is just a griefless dictator. There isn't a bit of concern for Ur. It's just, do your duty, kid. Not so good. What does Onan do? He knew offspring would not be his, so he refused. He refused his duty. He insults his brother, his dead brother. He insults his dad. What he did was so wicked in the Lord's eyes that God put him to death too. So first son, what's his category? Dead. Second son, category, dead. I mean, these are like wicked kids. And you see this kind of stuff, you're hyperlinking back to Genesis chapter 6. Noah and the flood, where I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. It is so bad, I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. God is washing the earth clean in an attempt to 
get things to work right. You also think of Sodom. Genesis 13, the people of Sodom were wicked, were sinning greatly against the Lord. Genesis 19, we, the angels, are going to destroy this place. The outcry against the Lord is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So when you see God destroying these sons, you're hyperlinking back to Noah and the flood. You're hyperlinking back to Sodom. Now those of you out in what, listening to this on the internet, thank you for doing that. Uh, we, there's a PowerPoint that I'm using here and you can download that from the website and look at all the stuff I'm sticking up here. How wicked are these kids? They're like Sodom. So, two dead kids, how many kids left? One, what's his name? Sheila, it's a guy's name. Judah said to Tamar, live as a widow in your father's house until my son Sheila grows up. Now, custom. When Judah brings Tamar in to marry his son, Ur, she has now joined his family. When Ur is dead, whose responsibility is it to take care of Tamar? Judah's. And beyond that, just the family responsibilities, it's a justice thing to care for the widow. So what does he do? How does he exercise his duty to take care of his daughter-in-law? Get out of here and go back to your dad's house. Incredible level of irresponsibility. Incredible level of irresponsibility. And does it publicly. Doesn't care. Doesn't care. Why did he do it? Why did he send Tamar away? Well, he, he's not really exactly honest with her. He says, I'll give you Sheila, my son. But he's not going to do it. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. And his thought is, how, his kids, good kids, bad kids. So wicked God destroys them. Whose fault is it according to Judah? Tamar's fault. For he thought he may die too, just like his brothers. She's the black widow spider. She's the problem. She's the one. Totally overlooks the wickedness of his own sons. Incredible blame shifting. Incredible blame sh- Judah, good guy or bad guy? It's going to get worse. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, after a long time, Judah's wife died. Okay? When Judah recovered from his grief, now how long do you think he grieved? Doesn't say, but my picture is like 13 minutes. <laughs> but anyway, he gets over his grief. He went to Timnah, to the men who are shearing his sheep. Okay, sheep shearing party is like what? Frat house at graduation. I mean, this is a totally messed up place, full of wine, women, and song, and rock music, and all that. (laughs) What does he do because he's grieving over a dead wife? goes to the sheep-shearing party. 
debauched, filled with sensual pleasure. This is a man who lives for his immediate pleasures and nasty ones. He's not honoring his wife. He's going to look for some fun tomorrow. What nashell is she? Canaanite. Mm-hmm. She was told, your father-in-law is already to tend to share his sheep. Now, she gets it. He's headed for the party. She took off her widow's clothes. So she's been grieving her loss for a long time. Covered herself with a veil, disguised herself. Do you know anybody else who deceived people by some false clothing? Yeah, that's what Rachel did with Jacob. Put on clothes so he'd smell like Esau. Patterns repeat. Covered herself with a veil, disguised herself, sat on the road to Timnah. She's put on prostitutes' clothes. She saw that though Sheila had now grown up, she had not been given him as his wife. She saw what was happening unmistakably. This guy has thrown her to the dogs. Didn't care at all. So here comes Judah. Where's he going? Sheep shearing party. Why? Gonna have a little fun. Sees Tamar sitting on the side of the road, not realizing he was, she was his daughter-in-law. He went over and said, come now, let me sleep with you. Really. He's a pervert. <laughs> I mean, he goes to the prostitute, hey, babe, let's get it on. Oy. She says... What will you give me? He says, how about a young goat for my flock? What does that mean? He knows the going price for a prostitute. He's experienced. He's been around the Sinai first rodeo. Of course, she knows that. That's why she's there entrapping him. Because she knows who this man is. She says, like, uh, I noticed you don't have a kid with you? Like, what do you give me is like pledge that you'll pay up on your debt? Not her. I mean, she knows this guy. He says, well, what, do you, what, do you, what would satisfy you? She says, your seal, its cord, and the staff in your hand. What's that? That's like your driver's license and your visa card. <laughs> Staffs are always unique. And signet is what you do to obligate yourself, sign documents. What do you call somebody who gives a prostitute your visa card and your driver's license? A fool. <laughs> Total fool. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So, Judah wants his visa card and driver's license back. So he sends Hiram, the Adonite, to get his pledge back from the woman, but didn't find her. He said, like, where's the shrine prostitute? Is it the road beside Enim? There hasn't been any shrine prostitute here. Now, shrine prostitute is not just an ordinary prostitute, but somebody who works in the religious ceremony of a false god, Baal or Astarte or one of those. That makes it even worse. Not only debauched, but profane. Not only a pervert, but worshiping other gods, or thinks he is. Hoy. 
About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution. As a result, she is now pregnant. What would Judah do with his daughter-in-law who sent away? He says, burn her. I mean, that is over the top. Because burning somebody is a particularly, particularly horrible way to kill somebody. We've seen that in some of the ISIS killings. That instead of the relatively mild, quick death, they end up burning somebody to death just to make it as bad as possible. Crucifixion may be the only thing worse than burning somebody to death. He sees a chance to get rid of her, I guess, and he's going to do it in a horrible kind of way. Now, there's one little detail. What was she guilty of? What's she guilty of? Prostitution. What has Judah been doing? Can we speak to double standard? Burn the woman, but not the guy. And he's the guy. As she'd been brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law, I am pregnant by the man who owns these, and she held up his visa card and his driver's license. <laughs> Busted! <laughs> oh, yeah, and we all feel good about it. Dude, do you deserve it? Do you deserve it? Do you deserve it? Do you deserve it? This is Judah. Oh, man. Story of Judah? No. He sells his brother for a buck. He's a callous fraud who shares his father's heart, treads his father's heart. A coward who runs from conflict, as all stuff I had up here, despises marriage, griefless dictator, lying, irresponsible, blame-shifting, debauched fool who comforts himself with shrine prostitutes, a hypocritical misogynist who burns women. Would you like this man to be a part of your family? What would you like to do to this guy? Uh, yeah, we all got ideas, don't we? <laughs> we do, we do, we do. Okay. What's God going to do with this guy? What do you do with Ur, the first son? What do you do with Onan, the second son? What's he going to do with Judah, with this snake? This is actually a Palestinian viper. See, it's the story of a snake. This is the story of Judah, but the story of Judah is the story of a snake. The serpent inhabited evildoer. What does God do with the snaky Judah? Well, let's look. God destroys him. How come? Because he's an evildoer. He's worse than his sons. How does he do it? Look at Genesis 49. How does God destroy him? Judah, your brothers will praise you. Do what? Your brothers will do what? Praise you? Your hand will be at the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you? No, no, that's Joseph. That's the dream that Joseph got in 37. The brothers are going to bow down. No, no, this, Jacob, you missed it. You're a lion's club, Judy. You returned for prey. My son, like a lion, he crouches down and lies down like a lioness. Who dares rouse him? Lion of Judah? 
And he goes on in verse 10, Genesis 49, the scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nation shall be his. That's the promise of Messiah. That's the promise of Messiah. God doesn't destroy him. God blesses him. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Who is this God? Well, we know who this God is. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, yet forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. God was compassionate to golden calf worshipers. But, but, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. The person who is an evildoer and stays there will merit God's punishment. We've seen that. This is the justice of God. How can a just God bless a snake? And for me, very personal, how can a holy God do this? How can I worship a God who blesses a snake? How can I do that? It's intolerable. It's intolerable. Well, let's look. Going back to Genesis 38, the seal, the cord, the staff, she holds up his visa card and driver's license. What does Judah do? You're the one who stole my stuff. You must surely die. Could he get away with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. You stole my stuff. But that's not what he does. That's not what he does. That's not what he does. What does he do? He recognized him and said, she is more righteous than I. What's she guilty of? Prostitution. What's he doing? What's he doing? He's owning his sin. Judah is really converting. He owns his sin. Because he could have just burned her on the spot. He absolutely could have gotten away with it. He doesn't. She is more righteous than I. But he goes on. For I did not give her my son, Sheila. Nobody's accusing him of that. Nobody was accusing him of that. That's actually beyond, he did not sleep with her again. He repented. He actually owned sin that he, nobody was accusing him of. He came open with the sin in his life, even that which he's not accused of. And he repents. He honors his daughter-in-law, takes her back, but does not sleep with her, does not abuse her, respects her. He's living a new life. When confronted with his sin, God confronted him through Tamar, he owns it and repents. And this will come up in the story to come, Genesis 43. Remember, Joseph is a guy down in Egypt. They're going down to get food from him. He says, unless you bring Benjamin, the youngest son, I will give you no food whatsoever. Joseph, they're just the prince of Egypt. They don't know who he is. Judah said to Israel, because Israel says, you are not taking Benjamin to Egypt, period. He says, send the boy along with me. We'll go down so we and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible. Who's saying this? Judah is saying this. 
Is that different than the old Judah? World apart. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before him, I will bear the blame. And then before Joseph, the prince of Egypt, when he says, I'm keeping Benjamin, Judah says, your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, Joseph says to the prince of Egypt, who has total power, please let your servant remain here. Let me, Judah, remain here as my Lord's slave in place of Benjamin. Let Benjamin return to his brothers. What's he saying? I'll be a substitute. I will protect him with my life. My life for his. Does that sound like anybody you've ever heard of? Sound like Jesus to me. So you're seeing a conversion here, a huge, huge, huge conversion. Tomorrow, a pattern for believers. God works through her big time. Judah says she's righteous, more righteous, because what happens? She's a righteous Canaanite. She's the one who calls out Judah's sin. Like Nathan is called David's sin. Now, don't go out and prostitute yourself. <laughs> you know, there's stuff she does that is absolutely not right. But what I see here is she is faithful in the face of Judah's complete unfaithfulness. She dares stand up and advocate for herself like many other women and powerless people. She does it in clever ways. She calls out his sin in ways that's recognized publicly and because an instrument of grace in the life of Judah. She's a courageous risk taker. Worship team, why don't you come up here? We're going to sing here in just a minute. See, I think in a lot of ways, Tamar is a pattern for us. Not all the ways. Are you willing to take a risk and put your life on the line for the sake of God's justice. Like I say, Nathan's going to do that later on with David. And again, be an instrument of grace in his life. Are you willing to take on the responsibility of pointing out somebody's sin in gracious ways, even knowing they may never talk to you again and break their relationship completely? Are you willing to put your life... Well, there's a lot of different ways. I think Tamar is a pattern for us to take very seriously for Jesus' followers. One of the things that strikes me is God works with all sorts of people. Do you want God to work with Judah? Realistically? I don't. Because I deal with the product of the evil they've done. I just want God to kill them right in their tracks. It's not a, I mean, it's not a godly thing to do. When you look at that person that you despise, that person's been so hard on you, do you see their sin? You have to, if you're like Tamar, if you're like God. Do you see the possibilities of conversion in them? Do you see how God's grace can impact their lives to be transforming presence for them? Do you see how you can be a help in that direction? It's way easier just to walk away and blog about them. God works with all kinds of people. Do I? 
God's grace brings forgiveness and healing to those who confess their need to him. Maybe there's a Judah sitting here. Somebody who's lost in the horrors of sin and deceit and shame. And Will you tell God about what's going on? Will you open up your heart to his grace? We've been singing about the transforming power of God. We see it in the life of Judah. That's the question for all of us. Because a lot of us are tomorrows. We're relatively righteous, but there's still garbage. We're still willing to prostitute ourselves. Are you willing to talk to God about that? Are you willing to receive his goodness and transformation? That's what we're about. There are communion tables off to the side where you can do business. There will be prayer teams there. We're going to sing for a while. Let's do that. That is so true. His faithfulness, even to a Judah, (laughs) even to a Tamar, even to a Gary, so many different ways. It's what we're about. Being open with the garbage in your life and safe places and grace places. Maybe you're the one extending grace. Maybe you're the one who is a friend of Judah and you have to live with that snake. Will you show him a truthful grace? Those of you listening by internet, you don't have a prayer team to go to like we do here, but go to their webpage and Find one of the elders. Find me. I'm one of the elders here. You can send me an email. We'll get you hooked up with somebody who can be gracious. But anybody. We've got a message of incredible grace in a world that is full of despicable, despising, violent, aggressive. We can be peacemakers, hope bringers, joy bringers. Because we know the God of all grace. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are the God of all grace. Thank you that you never overlook sin, but you transform it and bring the Lion of Judah out of the Snake of Judah. Will you be powerful in our lives so that we can look at our own snakiness and help others look at theirs in light of your forgiving grace, blood-bought transformation. Holy Spirit, show us your power here in our community and in our our city. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just one more point before you go. We've got, we need some backup people for VBS. We just had both of our evening music people go out sick. We've got Linda Byers going to step in probably for that. But we got a lot of people going to be sick. I mean, just the way things work out. And pray for protection, please. <laughs> Uh, but also, if you're one of those people, can maybe I could help out some way? Go talk to Jim out there and just be a backup person. It'd be really good. Go change the world. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.